In the summer of 2017, my best friend Kayla and I left our hometown of Oklahoma City to pursue our careers and explore our dreams. The only problem was that Kayla and I weren't moving together. Kayla moved to San Diego to pursue her career in fitness, and I moved to London to be with my fiancé. We had spent 20 years together, joint at the hip, and now we were putting nearly 5,500 miles between us with an eight-hour time difference. Our relationship has always been strong, so we knew that we could make this work. We started making plans for European vacations and swore that we'd see each other soon. Then off we went to start our new lives. Little did we know what the next three years had in store. I've decided to make this podcast in honor of women all over the world who have been in or are currently still in abusive, manipulative, or toxic relationships. I'd also like to include all close family and friends of the victims who suffer from abuse. Often, these people go on their own roller coaster of emotions as they try to navigate what's truth and what's lies. In the United States, an estimated 2 to 4 million women are abused each year, and one in every three women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Chances are, you or someone you know have been in an abusive relationship. Abuse comes in many forms, and it's not always black and white. After months of healing from this trauma, Kayla has decided to share her story in hopes that it helps other women get out of similar situations and to know what early warning signs to look for. I want to thank Kayla for having the courage to share her story with me, for letting me record it, and for letting me share it with all of you. After countless hours of editing and research, I've realized the best revenge for these situations is surviving. It's getting out, becoming a better person, realizing your worth, and breaking the cycle. I'm Rachel Metacroft, and you're listening to It Doesn't End Here. Throughout this podcast, you'll be hearing from Kayla's close family and friends to get their perspective on what was happening in Kayla's relationship. Some names in this podcast have been changed for anonymity purposes. Here's one of Kayla's friends, Stacy, and how she would describe her friendship with Kayla and her personality. I have known Kayla going on almost seven years. Um, started out in the gym and I spent almost every single day with her for the first several years before she moved out to California. But yeah, this will be seven years this year. How close were you guys as friends? We were really close. We, um, we had a lot of the same goals at the time. We both were both competing in fitness competitions. We were trying to develop a free boot camp for local, um, for the local community. We worked for Fox News um, and did weekly Fit with Fox segments. So, I mean, we were constantly working together, whether it was just spending time like as friends or, you know, doing doing those other little tidbits that we that we picked up on, you know, that we were trying to bring out to the community. So um, it ended up being our our passion, which was, you know, with health and wellness and whatnot at the time brought us closer. So it's like some of our work was brought into that, too, where we were spending you know, our personal time together, but also kind of some work time together as well. We would get closer as we went out and spent time with friends. That's how I met you. You know, her friends became my friends, um, which, you know, and I loved all of them. So, I mean, it just developed from there. She's like a sister. How would you describe Kayla's personality? She was always a go-getter, very driven, very social, very, very social. I mean, she didn't walk in a building that she didn't know somebody. Everybody would stop and talk to her and she would stop and talk to them. She didn't know a stranger. I mean, obviously with all those things, I mean, everything that I just listed that we were doing at the time, she was somebody that, you know, gave me that drive. She just, she exuded all of that. Um, And everyone around her was better for it. She was a very passionate and driven person. She didn't have an enemy. She wasn't very confrontational. She was very kind to everybody. Always, you know, had good things to say and sort of brought everybody up. She's always been Miss Popular, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she was from day one, but that's that's how she's been as long as I've known her. That's for sure. 
Here's Kayla's little sister, April. Growing up, I obviously, you know, adored my sister and I always looked up to her. She was my role model. I always loved her clothes and I loved wearing them. And, but, you know, me being the younger sister and, you know, how she got punished and my mom would just say, this is what Kayla did. And I would just be so shocked. So I thought Kayla was just like a really troubled child. And, um, you know, in high school, she's drinking and I'm like, oh my gosh, alcohol, that's so bad. Cause that's how I was raised. Like very conservative, very Christian. And so I definitely judged Kayla a lot when I was younger. And, um, but I knew like she was a very independent person during college. She worked three jobs. Like she was always a go-getter she was independent. She did not need anybody else. She didn't, uh, no one told her what to do. Kayla was her own person. You know, I got older and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I kind of see like what Kayla was doing like when she was older. Now that I was like out of my parents' hair and was like, okay, well, it wasn't that bad, like what she was doing. So we started, you know, getting along, like becoming more of friends than just Big sister and little sister. I wouldn't really say we ever fought, but uh, I don't feel like we were very close. We definitely didn't talk very often. Um, After I was out of high school, it wasn't until probably 2014, she, you know, wanted to start her own business. She wanted to be her own boss. And that is so Kayla. She wants to run her own life and nobody else. So. Um, we used to work out all the time. I would spend so much time at her house, meal prepping and me and Kayla were like just so close and it was like such a great relationship. Um, and this was around the time, like my parents were not doing well. They were just mentally unwell and it was nice for you to like have each other finally to like connect. Yes. Like I, we've never been that close. And I mean, we were with each other at least, at least four times a week. And that was just really nice. And she was nice to me because sometimes, you know, we, we don't see eye to eye. So it was nice that we weren't ever bickering with each other. And we like actually really loved each other. Like we were like really close. Kayla, I'm so happy and excited that you are ready to talk about the events that have taken place over the past few years. I hope that this is going to be a really empowering and therapeutic experience. So why have you decided to talk about this now? The reason why I want to finally share my story after overcoming everything that I've I've been through and healed from, I went through so much that people don't know. And I think my situation is a very common situation women find themselves in. So I am sharing this in hopes that this will help just one person. Hopefully it helps many more. But if I can just help one person get out of a situation that they're not supposed to be in or be able to recognize warning signs of everything I went through, hopefully that will either prevent or help someone get out of the same situation I was in. Not only that, but I think every everyone looking from the outside into my life via whether it be social media or whatever anyone has perceived about my life, it looked as though it was going really well, but there was a lot of underlying issues and struggles happening at the same time. So I'm excited to just share those because I just want to be an open book with everyone. I don't want shame to overtake my life and think I have to portray myself as a perfect person because I am far from that. So I just want everyone to see a more vulnerable, relatable side to me. And I know sharing this information will definitely do that. 
these years that I will be talking about were some of the darkest times I've had in my entire life, coming off the heels of an even darker time, which is why I think I fell into this situation and why I got so stuck and attached in this. So this is going to be for every woman that does not know herself and may be stuck in the same situation that she does not need to be in and how to get out, hopefully safely. So maybe some of the things that I went through will be warning signs that people can look out for or recognize if they are already in a similar situation. So before I begin the story where we're going to start it, I just want to give everyone a little bit of context of my mentality at this time. From 2014 up until I moved to California in 2017, I went through another really dark period in my life with a lot of personal family issues. In 2014, my dad came down with serious mental illness, or whatever you want to call it these days. That started happening in the beginning of 2014, and my family had never experienced anything like this. We were a middle-class, normal family. I have three siblings, and we were pretty perfect. I mean, we hung out all the time. We were super close. We played all played sports growing up. You know, our lives were just family and sports and our, all of our friends were welcome at our house any time of the day. And there was always food and drinks ready on the table at all times. So going from that until all of a sudden, boom, like the craziest things that I've ever witnessed that my family went through, my dad coming down with mental illness. And that led him in and out of mental hospitals for the next year and a half, two years. I was engaged and then I even got married in the middle of 2014. So all of my family stuff started happening right in the middle of my engagement. So I'm trying to navigate feelings around (laughs) trying to be happy and plan this wedding to get married while also having to deal with a family crisis, so to speak, of what the heck is happening to my parents. I we just they were just deteriorating mentally. I ended up getting married. My parents barely made it to the wedding and we just kind of went about our lives the rest of 2014. My mom started getting even worse when my dad was getting worse. So there was just, it was just cold in our family house. That was once this amazing home for anyone that wanted to enter became this dark, cold, cringe-worthy house that I didn't even want to go to because my parents just sat in the house like miserable, depressed people all day long. And that went on the rest of 2015. We sent my mom away to my grandparents' house, where actually I currently live in Sarasota. She was here for several months. My grandparents, her parents, were just trying to help her as much as possible deal with what she was dealing with. I mean, she was seriously depressed, anxious, just breaking down at all times when, you know, she was very dependent on my dad. And when you see someone that you love and that you rely on to take care of you and that you don't know if they're going to make it, you yourself feel like you cannot live or survive. So we sent her away. She came back April 2015 and just tried to go back to regular life. Honestly, it was just never the same. Through seeing my dad get worse and worse, she couldn't take it anymore. She, in June of 2015, she checked herself into a hotel and had bought a gun on the way to the hotel and sat there all day doing who knows what. I don't know. She was there for a while before we, you know, caught her or even my two youngest siblings went to the hotel and witnessed this tragedy. So she ended up 
killing herself in the hotel room that night on a Sunday night. It was actually Father's Day, just to put, you know, a little bit more spite in there. I think that was a little dig at my dad. I don't know, but it was Father's Day and she took her own life. From there, obviously, just no words, honestly, but I'm sharing all this to say that my mentality at the time was so to just sweep everything under the rug and just move on and just be like, well, that's life. Like, what can I do about it? I can't change it. And I just remember even at my mom's wake and at the funeral, I barely cried. Like, I would not let my feelings and emotions come out. I didn't know how to, and I didn't want to at the time. I thought I thought by being a strong person, you do not let your feelings and emotions show. But come to realize that is quite the opposite. So dealing with the death of my mother while my marriage was actually on the rocks, which probably should never have gotten married in the first place, had we been better about communicating our feelings and emotions like we were horrible at. So we were on the rocks. We separated multiple times. I moved out of our house to my dad's house, to friends' houses. I couch surfed, you know, a little bit, just, I guess, just escaping my reality that I did not want to face. This separation went on all of 2016. The death of my mother, my dad kind of coming back to reality in his own way. He's different now, but, you know, he's better. And then the separation of with me and my ex going on all of 2016. And that led to me moving out for good in the beginning of 2016. So I'm just going through life. I'm just knocking things down. I'm suppressing. I'm not feeling. I'm sweeping everything under the rug. I'm just not dealing with what is going on in my life. And I did not know how to at the time. I told myself that I would be out of the state of Oklahoma in six months. I got a six month lease in my apartment and I was like, I'm going to be gone. I just want to escape. I don't want to see these people that I've seen the last 27 years of my life. I don't want to talk about the past. I don't want people asking me how I am or how my family is. Like I just thought by escaping, I could just start a whole new life and be a whole new person. And so I was gone in six months. I moved to California, October, 2017. And so if you can try to relate as much as possible or get a glimpse of everything that I had just gone through the last two years of my life and not dealing with it for one second, that is how my mentality was. And your mentality will always show up in your reality. So needless to say, I was so disassociated from myself, from my feelings. I didn't know how to even be aware of my emotions. And so that is why I think I got trapped in this situation that I will be talking about the next that are, are over the next couple of years of my life and how like that was just a one big shit storm of things going wrong all at the same time and then combine that with the person that I met it was just it was just a perfect storm of everything that could go wrong Honestly, my life, little did I know, was about to change drastically and dramatically. In January 2018, we're starting this off when you met Mr. Wannabe. When I met Mr. Wannabe, I think within the first week, I had texted Granny and I was like, I met this man for a reason. I just foreshadowed that I, I really do believe like I went through all of this for a reason it's still not come to fruition yet what that reason is. So why did you think that? You know, what was it about Mr. Wannabe that kind of attracted you to him? What was he like? The one word I could say to describe my feelings was I was impressed. I met him through a friend and we were at a business 
breakfast that I met him at and he was in the fitness industry or so I thought and or had been or I, when I first met him I just thought of him as a good business connection. It's kind of like he had already been there done that of all the things that I wanted to do. So I know I moved to I moved to San Diego in October of 2017. So this is only three months later, but I initially, I really wanted to move to LA, but I just had the opportunity to go to San Diego instead. So I'm actually going back and forth to LA, you know, trying to meet connections and lo and behold, this person pops up out of nowhere. And I I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Okay. Just met this really good connection. This is what I was trying to do the whole time. So I think when I texted my grandma, I, I, I was just initially thinking like, wow, he's, really going to help me with my career. In what way could he help you in your career? Did he have, did he know a lot of people in the industry? Apparently. (laughs) So he said, yeah, I mean, you know, just name dropping. I've, I know this person, I've done this, I've been on that. I have this, I'm starting this. Do you want to be a part of it? All that kind of stuff. That is why I was like, oh, okay. He has all the answers for me. He can steer me in the right directions. But, you know, at this point, I'm three months new to California, and I was not in any way looking for a relationship. I had gone through a divorce. My divorce was not even finalized by this time. And so I was definitely not looking for any sort of relationship. But we hung out. So the first initial time we hung out, I it was my birthday weekend, and I took my roommate at the time, and we went to LA for the weekend, and he offered up his place that we could stay at. And I even invited him to my dinner because I was like, I don't know. I didn't really have any reason not to. I was like, do you want to come to dinner? And he came. And so that was our first initial, you know, hanging out. And then I think just from there, I started going alone, driving from San Diego to LA, you know, alone, spending the time there by myself. Um, One of the first initial hangouts we had is he had a business meeting and I went with him to it. You know, I meet this guy. He's has this bullet point checklist of all the things that he's done in the fitness industry. We're going to this meeting. It's a pretty prominent person that he's speaking with about this new business that he was starting. And it wasn't anything that he had done prior. It wasn't in the fitness space at all. So I didn't know anything about it at the time. Um, but I went to this meeting with him, and he knows how to talk. He knows all the right things to say to people. So, I mean, we spent two hours at this meeting and I just remember leaving the meeting like, wow, he's so smart. Like this other guy was super impressed with him. You go hang out with him the first time and he's, you know, having an important business meeting. Like for you, that probably just solidified everything he said because you're like, okay, yeah, it's all true. Right, exactly. So that point up, stamp of approval. Yep, all right, he's, everything he's saying is is true. Another thing that really got me attached to him very quickly was he did gain my trust barely, really early on. And I don't know if it was a combination of me have bottling up so much that I'd gone through in my personal life the last two years and I just needed to get it out combined with he was really good at communicating and talking really good. So I opened up a lot of things to him at the very beginning, like within the first couple of weeks, which I never do. He just gained my trust really easily. I was like, I can talk to this person really easily. He's not judging me for everything that I've gone through or where I currently am. So how was the first couple of weeks with Mr. Wannabe? You know, was he whining and dining you? You know, how was the dating between the two of you? Um, I would definitely say there was a lot of trying to impress, a lot of love bombing going on. You know, just like so much words, little gifts and stuff like that. And so little did I know there was just so much underlying stuff coming up. Within, I think, a month and a half into us talking, he had to be out of the house that I had stayed and I helped him move out. And at the time, I was just like, oh, he just has to move out because his lease is up. And he'd had that house with a previous girlfriend. And obviously, she had already moved out before. And I was like, okay, his lease is just up or something. That was just my initial initial thought. So I helped him move out and 
he moved into a much smaller space than that. I mean, I was a little confused because I was like, how can you go from this ginormous house pretty much to now you have to go way down and downsize a lot. How small are we talking here? It was a garage. It was so small. I was like, this is very confusing, but... And how big was the house he was in previously? I mean, it was like a three-story, three-bed, three-bath or more. Um, wow. Okay. And so then my initial thought was, you know, I'm all, I'm just assuming all these things. I'm just like, well, he did just start this new business. It's maybe he's putting stuff in storage and downsizing and having a much cheaper rent because he's, you know, well, you know, saving away or putting it towards the business or, you know, sacrificing a little bit right now so he can, you know, work on that more. But I mean, later to find out, I don't think that was the reason. Here's Stacy and her initial thoughts on Mr. Wannabe. The first time that I heard about Mr. Wannabe was I actually went to visit her in San Diego and I took my family with me. Um, we were on the beach. Her description of him was more, um, he really wanted, she, she liked that he really wanted to take care of her kind of wine and dine her, but he couldn't, he would just say, you know, he told her that he wanted to be able to do all these things, but he just couldn't. Um, and she kind of, attributed that to he's just working really hard on on a project um, at the time. And so, you know, he was very driven and and he had a lot of things that were about to be coming, you know, to fruition for him. Um, and so, I mean, to me, it sounded like, you know, she was being an honest, loyal, like sweet person that found somebody that maybe was, you know, about, about to do something with their life. Um, so I was happy for her, um, when she moved to, from San Diego to LA, that's probably when I saw more of the change. She, I mean, when she did talk about him, it was very brief. He would be brought into the conversation as like somebody that is coming along with her or with her, but never details about, you know, usually you hear the romantic side or like, when they're in that honeymoon phase, like you didn't, I didn't hear anything about that, about their relationship. But Kayla, you know, also went through a lot between the time she moved from Oklahoma city to there. So I, you know, I don't want to pry and I want to just be there for her when she needs me. And sometimes people will go a little distant when they are new in relationships. And so I always kind of, you know, would put it on that. Here's Kayla's sister, April, as she recalls the first time she heard about Mr. Wannabe. Well, I remember the first time she told me about him. She was living in California, and about three months after she moved to California, I actually moved to Kansas City with my boyfriend, who was another Mr. Wannabe. We can call him Mr. Wannabe as well. 2.0. 2.0. And... um so me and her came back to Oklahoma to visit. I don't remember why, but she got a hotel and I stayed with her in the hotel and I remember getting ready and she was telling me about this breakfast that she went to for um, this company that sponsored her at the time. And uh, she was telling me how this guy who was a lot older than her took her and her roommate to LA she said she wasn't interested in him at all. Later down the road, she starts dating him. And I am confused because she clearly stated she was not interested in him. And he was a lot older, which is fine. But just the way it came off originally, it just seemed like this old man, which he wasn't that old, but that's how it kind of, how I read it the first time I heard about him. Then all of a sudden, I see them on social media, and I've literally never seen Kayla smile the way she did. She looked so insanely happy. Not even in her marriage did I see pictures of her and her husband that happy. And I was like, wow, like, who is this Kayla? I was shocked. I was happy for her. 
then at the same time, I was like, okay, well, this relationship started off, you know, she did not like him. A couple months into our relationship, um, there was an event actually in San Diego. I was primarily going to LA most of the time, but like one or two occasions he had come to San Diego. And there was this event that he had gotten me into from a person he knew was hosting it. It was some fitness, big fitness event. But of course, like he was too big time to attend it. He comes to San Diego and I spend the day by myself doing that. And we are eating dinner at this hotel that this event is at. He just started asking me very odd questions and getting way too ahead of himself, which I know he's older and he, you know, knows what he wants out of life and everything. But I just, he has asked me, he, he legit asked me if I could ever fall in love with him after like two months had no idea what to say. And for whatever reason, that turned into this little tiff. And I remember we were just left this convention center and I we could we could walk back to my apartment. That's how close it was. And I remember walking back and where he's just kind of like, he was like, I'm just wondering if you could ever fall in love with me. And I was just like, I don't know. I felt like I was just very weirded out. And so at that moment, at that point, I kind of pumped the brakes on on us in our situation. And there was even this event that he was supposed to come with me to in Hollywood, like the next weekend or something. And I pretty much uninvited him. I was like, I, I was like, I just need some space. I was like, please don't come to this. I'm just going to go by myself, you know? And then I even went to Oklahoma and was barely answering his calls or texts or anything like that. So I kind of just pumped the brakes a little bit after that whole situation. But I got back in town and I think he was just, you know, hey, come see my new place. Cause I I helped him pack and everything in his house, but I didn't uh help him move or move to the new place. So I I had no idea what it looked like. So I agreed to just go down there for the weekend and hang out and saw his new place. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not I'm not judging, but it was very, very much smaller. And he was like, I actually do like it. And he made it livable. He put hung everything up on the walls and made it all organized. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, it, it could work. It's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not great, but you know, it's on the beach. It's just really, really small. You know, at this point I'm a little confused. I'm just confused all around in my life at this point. I don't know what's going on on with my career. I don't know what I'm doing in San Diego. I'm not very happy there. And I know I really want to be in LA and I think he maybe saw that in me. He saw my vulnerability and my, you know, being young and naive. He would just, like I said, kind of love bombing on me, just saying so many things like, I want to take care of you. You're just the best person I know. And you deserve this and that. And just overwhelming you with affectionate words and gifts, pretty much. Yeah. And at, and at the time, my mindset, and my mentality was really liking that because I couldn't really keep myself afloat very well, like mentally or even financially. It was like, what am I going to do? And I just didn't really have a plan. He wanted to talk. He wanted to communicate, which was out of the realm of any relationship I had ever been in, even growing up. No one encouraged me to talk or share my feelings. So I knew that I liked that. I wasn't good at it, but I knew that I liked it. So I was like, okay, he's he was attractive to me in that way. So, but as, you know, things kept, he's, you know, pursuing the business. I knew he'd moved into this small space. He had bought me a couple of gifts, even sending me a pair of shoes to San Diego. He bought me this little care package of like getting my nails and hair done. And then he had taken me to a nice dinner in San Diego and stuff like that. But then at the same time, simultaneously, some like other weird money things were happening. Like, there was probably four or five times in this first couple of weeks or months where he would quote unquote accidentally leave his wallet at home. Like when you guys would go out for dinner yes. or for so like for breakfast or lunch. It wasn't ever anything super expensive, but I remember the first time we were out to breakfast and he was like, Oh shit, I forgot my wallet. And I was like, Oh, that's okay, I got it. And then it happened again. And I was like, Okay, it's fine, I got it. And then it happened again, and I'm pretty sure four or five times. 
And that's when, you know, I should have recognized something then, but I was like, that's very strange. <laughs> like even later, don't like any other time he was not without his wallet. But coincidentally, when we would go somewhere, he forgot his wallet and it would, you know, that was his story. So he just forgot his wallet as opposed to being like telling me any sort of truth at this point. There was just so many underlying things that I didn't know were going on, but they were starting to come up little by little. Yeah. A bunch of like tiny red flags that you could kind of see. And my toxic trait (laughs) is seeing how red these flags can get (laughs) because by the end of this, I had a whole freaking... Oh, girl, your whole life is on fire by the end of it. What is that thing called like that you went to with all the flags? Oh, in Geneva? The United Nations? The United Nations. That was me, but with all red flags. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you going with this story? (laughs) By the end of the story, it's just me in a picture of like hundreds of red flags. I guess like the trade-off at this point, though, was he was helping me so much with like... um, emotionally, I was supporting him, I felt like by these little money things coming up and I'm like paying for stuff and which is fine. Like I don't have, I'm willing to, you know, put some effort in. I'm not one of those girls that's like, you have to pay for everything all the time. So I guess I just didn't really, I didn't like that he was lying about the wallet, but I was just like, well, maybe he's like ashamed of something and whatever. I understand. So I was just letting it go and he was supporting me emotionally and I felt like I was supporting him with what he was trying to pursue in the business. So it was kind of an equal trade-off at this point. So that was, you know, January, February, March. And by April, you guys, you and Andrew had come to California and I was so excited. So this was your first time meeting Mr. Wannabe. So what were your first impressions? When I got to LA, we um, met up with you, Mr. Wannabe, and we went to that really nice restaurant on the water. It was beautiful. I remember we had those spicy margaritas, but pretty much immediately he wanted to show Andrew and I kind of, you know, who he was. So he was definitely name dropping pretty much anyone in the industry that he thought we might know or if I said I liked a TV show or if I said I liked a magazine, you best believe he knew somebody that worked there or he did something for those people. And again, maybe he did because all I knew about this guy was that he was pretty, you know, he was a big deal or he had been a big deal or whatever in the industry. Kayla was in that industry and she was dating this guy and it seemed legit. So I'm just sitting there listening to him, just like kind of taking it all in. You know, I, I like to observe. I'm in sales. I ask a lot of questions. I say very little and I like to collect all the information and then be like, hmm, interesting. I was asking him tons of questions, just really acting so interested in what, you know, everything he was saying. And he was really serious. You know, not only was he name dropping um, people and talking about the industry, which you know, that's fine for just, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes. We want to talk about that, but we're talking about the whole time. Like this was the Mr. Wannabe show when Kayla and I and Andrew were having a reunion. There was no one else speaking but him the whole time. So I was getting a little annoyed because I was like, dude, I'm being friendly, but I really don't, I really don't care. I just want to hang out with my friend. He was very serious. You know, he, he didn't really smile the whole time we were at dinner. He didn't crack any jokes. You know, Kayla and I, we like to laugh. We like to have a joke. He was just not, he was just not having it. The tab came and we split it and you bought the meal. And I thought that was so strange because this man for the past two hours has taken up all the talking space to tell me how many famous people he knows and how many things he's done with his life and how he's made it to where he is and all of these things. And then the bill comes and he lets his girlfriend pick it up. You know, and I don't mean to sound like women shouldn't pay for their own their own stuff. That's not it. It just didn't match what this guy has just told us for the past couple of hours. And it just doesn't make any sense. 
something is not adding up here. And my red flags were also going off. That's the thing is at the very beginning, he'll, he'll lay it all out there to try to get this perception of him, how he wants to be seen, but he won't tell you the truth, the actual truth of what he's going through. Like he just never would like, was never genuine or authentic and just tell the truth. He would give you only what he wanted you to know about him. And that was the highest broad strokes of his life. What he's done, what he's accomplished, and who he knows. Well, yeah, it's just that phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. Like, that's exactly him. He wanted everyone in the whole world to think that he was had an amazing career. He had a lot of money. He's very, very, very successful. And that's the story that he was going to spin until he's dead. Yeah. So you guys pretty much left there with... I don't know your impression, but mixed emotions. You had to go back across the world. So I was like, where am I? I mean, I'm now I'm stuck here. Not, I mean, not stuck, you know, nothing was going to change because no, you could have been like, you hated him or told me anything. And uh, I don't know. It was just you not being there was really hard. Yeah. And I, I agree. It was really hard. And I told Andrew that multiple times that I don't think you'd be in the situation is if we had moved together. If I had moved with you to California, no chance in hell would any of this have happened. That was in April that Andrew and I came. And then, as you said, I had very mixed emotions and I didn't like this guy and I didn't really see the pool. I didn't understand why you were so intrigued, but I trust your opinion and I just went back home. And that's the last time I trusted your opinion. Well, (laughs) Well, I thought I trusted mine as well. I honestly cannot even express to you how disassociated and disconnected from myself I was. And we we continued on, but now that I look at it, it was like all these decisions that he was helping me make were really for his own benefit. I felt like it was like, you should do this and that. And I'm like, okay. And I, I really just agreed with everything he would tell me to do. I mean, I was not strong enough mentally. He was older. I felt like I kind of had to like look up to him in a way and be like, well, he knows everything. He's this much older than me. He's gone through it. He has the best possible advice and he's very smart. He knows what to do. So I don't even know how many decisions I was making for myself, but it was very minimal at that point. So in May, we're just getting more serious and he's working on the business and I I just have a little bit of money coming in. I have no idea how he's making money at this point. I think I just thought he had so much saved up from being so successful because he's so famous. Yeah. had all this money. So I just didn't even really ask and I'm just making a little bit of my own money. And so I'm going back and forth between San Diego and LA and it's, it's getting annoying because he has two cars and I have my car and there was no parking hardly. And so what do you know? That just opened up the conversation of him being like, why don't you just sell your car and you can have mine? And it was a nice car. I was like, okay, well, it'll free up the parking. I got a nice car that I don't have to pay for because at the time we just needed money. I mean, I had no idea how much money he was making and I knew how much the rent was and I knew how much his expenses were from just things he did and food and stuff like that. And I knew how little money I was making. And so I just agreed. I was like, sure, I'll, I agreed to sell my car, but I don't think I sold it until like June. But during all this, you know, me selling my car, I think also what was in the talks is me moving in with them because why not? <laughs> because I don't know what he said. He was just kind of getting you to that point where you didn't have right. a lot of your th- own things. Like, Once you start using his car, and what if he wants his car to be in LA and not in San Diego? At this point, it was just, and I didn't exactly notice or pinpoint at the time, but it was just him just getting me exactly where he wanted me. He had already three months prior asked if I could be in love with him. He's saying I'm the most, the best person he knows, that I'm the best girlfriend he's ever had. He can see my vulnerability and like, my lack of emotional intelligence pretty much. So of course he's going to be like, I can get her to pretty much do whatever I want. 
So he was using emotional manipulation on you. He was telling you how amazing you are while also telling you, but you are not emotionally strong enough to take care of yourself. So I need to take on this burden for you, but you are amazing and just let me do it. Right. Exactly. Wow. And into the trap I fell. (laughs) I remember you calling me and telling me that you were going to sell your car. And I was one very surprised because I didn't understand how you were going to get around. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? You're going to sell your car? And then you told me um, that you were just going to use one of Mr. Wannabe's. And um, I think that you told me that you were going to be moving in. This is very hard conversations for us to have because we're 5,500 miles apart, but also I had to be very careful to not kind of like, I didn't want to like rain on your parade. I didn't know if you were really, really happy and everything was fine and going well. And if everything you were telling me was fine or if it was all a lie and you were just believing one big lie, right? You know, I, I couldn't decipher what was actually happening. So I remember asking you, I said, you know, do you think that's a smart idea for you to sell your car? And you said, yeah, why not? And I said, well, what if you don't, what if ha- something happens and you guys break up and then what are you going to do? Do you remember me asking you that? Kind of vaguely, vaguely. And you said, well, Rach, I don't go into a new relationship thinking of how it's going to end. And I was like, I know, girl, but what if it ends and you last want words. out? Famous yeah. last words. Yeah. And I really wish now that I had maybe pushed that a little harder with you, but you know, I was I was trying to be careful and not push my boundary and not overstep. So I just kind of was like, okay, well. I mean, yeah. And the fact, obviously, it was probably, I'm assuming it was mainly his idea. You know, he knew what he was doing. I mean, any, I just feel like any normal person in a relationship that early on would be opposed to that. Or at least we could talk about it and like, you know obviously it's he's all for it but that not but now looking back it's like why would he be all for that that's weird that's too soon that's too much but i he said all the right things because he said all the right things in a combination of me just not (laughs) being there like i'm gonna say so many times just mentally i had nothing to give at all and i just let him make all the decisions for me and i just I was trying to make it seem like to everyone else it was a great idea. And so that's where we were. And I sold my car and, you know, I even freaking gave him so much money of that. Like I only got 6,000, but I ended up giving him like $1,500 for whatever he needed. He needed $1,500. I don't remember what, what for it was for personal stuff. And then I gave him another $750 for a business proposal that he needed to get done that he was going to pay someone for. So I was contributing to this business and to him, not only obviously monetarily, but emotionally supporting him. And he was quote unquote supporting me right back at the time. So I thought, you know, he was taking on all the load for us. So in a way that felt like weight off my shoulders of, I don't have to make my own decisions. This person loves me so much already that he is willing to take everything on him and I don't have to worry about anything. So it felt nice. It felt like a relief at the time, but little did I know it was just all, all a game, all like manipulation and control. Was there any other red flags going on besides, you know, him in the beginning with his wallet and then a couple months passed, you know, what else was going on that you were picking up on? Yeah, there was one very big instance that that moment I should have turned right around and reversed everything. I had just made a decision about, but I had already sold my car and I was still for a month going back and forth to San Diego because since I was moving in with him and my lease was not up yet, I had found someone to move in, uh, sublet it for the last couple months, but they weren't moving in right at the time. So I was still finishing out where, like how long I was staying at my apartment, but I had his car already. I had sold my car. So I'm going back and forth. And I, at the time was 
had been personal training clients the last several months and I was finishing them all out. And I had this male client that I loved, like we we're such great friends. He was so fun, not threatening to my relationship whatsoever. He was never like that. We were always just friends. Like Mr. Wannabe even met him. We had worked out with him and he just wanted to take me to a final goodbye dinner. And I was like, that is so sweet. Like, thank you so much. I was like, very grateful. All of a sudden, he starts blowing my phone up, would not stop calling, would not stop texting, saying he doesn't believe where I am. I was in shock of how crazy he was acting. And at that moment, I was like trying to play it cool about this dinner and he keeps calling and calling and calling me. And so I was trying to be like, oh my God, my boyfriend's calling me. <laughs> like, maybe I should just answer really quick. So I answer it and he's yelling at me. Then I said, do you want to say hi to my friend who he knew, but I was trying to play it cool. And so I hand the phone over to him and he's being all nice to him, of course. Like, oh, hey, you know, how are you? Blah, blah. Hands the phone back to me and he's just in a rage. I have no idea why. And so then I finish out the dinner and I'm just in a horrible mood at this point, not even enjoying the, the time with my friend for the last time. And I call him back and he's just like, you need to bring my car back. And I don't know if he said like, we're over or whatever, but he wanted his car back in, in LA like that night. And it was super late. And I was like, I'm not bringing your car back right now. But that was like the eve of the final time, like in San Diego. And the next day I'm supposed to be fully in LA with like not going back. And that should have been my biggest red flag because uh, I mean, what the hell was that? Why did he just freak out on me? And I just remember just being like, what did I just do? It was too late. I was stuck. I was completely stuck. It was, it was too late. In this episode, Kayla describes Mr. Wannabe's actions as love bombing. I'd like to take a moment to take a closer look at love bombing and some of the early warning signs. Love bombing is a form of manipulation which narcissists and other manipulators often use. It includes using extravagant gestures and displays of affection very early in the relationship to gain power and control. Saying things like, I think I may be in love with you, or I want to take you to Paris this weekend, or here's a $200 bottle of perfume on the first date. These gestures imply a level of commitment that's out of proportion to the length of time two people have known each other. And make no mistake, there is nothing loving about these calculated acts. The term love bombing was reportedly coined in the 1970s by the controversial Unification Church of the United States. Cult leaders like Jim Jones and David Korsh used the tactic as a way to control their followers. The psychology committee later adopted the term as a way to describe a type of toxic, manipulative affection. Love bombing, unlike real love, is a self-centered, anxious pursuit with the singular goal of acquiring somebody because it boosts the bomber's ego. Craig Malkin, clinical psychologist and author of Rethinking Narcissism, said it's not about care or compassion or tenderness. For the love bomber, you're no different than a shiny new toy that captures their attention for the moment. Other examples of love bombing might include making plans for the future together, like talking potential wedding venues on the third date, as well as showering the victim with things such as fancy dinners, lavish gifts, compliments, and a barrage of doting text messages and emails. How is love bombing different than sincere romantic gestures, you may ask? At the beginning of a relationship, it's normal for both parties to do nice things for one another because they want to. They want to make their partner feel appreciated and special. With love bombing, however, the acts may appear generous when really they're self-serving. There's nothing wrong with surprising someone with a trip if you've known each other long enough to take a trip or if the intention is to truly get to know each other. Love bombers use grand gestures to manipulate they fake a genuine interest in other people to get something they want, usually some combination of sex, money, affection, maybe a live-in housekeeper, and access to important people. A gesture that might be perceived as romantic a year into the relationship can be off-putting and potentially a red flag 
if it occurs, say, in the first couple of months of dating. Ladies, be aware. It Doesn't End Here was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Rachel Meadowcroft. I want to say thank you to Kayla and her family and friends for participating in this series. I also want to say thank you to my dear friend JT for all the music on this season. If you or someone you know has a story that needs to be told, I want to hear it. My contact information is linked in the show notes, and I cannot wait to hear from you. If you liked It Doesn't End Here, subscribe now and share with your family, friends, co-workers, and anyone else you come in contact with. Please leave a five-star review to help spread awareness of this podcast. By sharing this podcast, you may help someone that you didn't even know needed help. 